Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. These are the audio versions of the sermons preached each Sunday. I hope you enjoy. Our first scripture reading comes from Psalm chapter 71, verses 1 through 6. In you, O Lord, I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock and refuge, a strong fortress to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from my birth. It was you who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. The word of the Lord. Our second scripture lesson this morning comes from Luke, the 13th chapter, where Jesus is healing a woman that has been bent over. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. And when he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, not on the Sabbath. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all of his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that Jesus was doing. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. She was bent over. I mean, she was almost bent in half. She was so far bent over. Her perspective on the world was the dusty ground where she walked. And feet. Oh, yes, she had seen all kinds of feet. And she had learned to identify people by their feet. Shopping was a struggle. She had to take the produce in the market and bring it way down low under her face so she could see the quality. Sometimes the vendors yelled at her because they were afraid that she was going to drop their produce on the ground. Some vendors wouldn't even let her touch the produce. Then she had to rely on them to give her something that would be edible. She had grown up in the synagogue, attended every Sabbath. 
She remembered having lots of friends as a young girl, running around outside after service, friends meeting her in the market, all the chit-chat among the other women. But it was different now. It had been different for 18 long years, ever since she bent over and couldn't stand straight again. Now, no one spoke to her on Sabbath or at any other time for that matter. She couldn't make eye contact, so she imagined it was just as easy for them to pretend she was invisible. Despite the shunning, she went to synagogue every week. On this particular week, she was really looking forward to attending. They were going to hear from this new teacher that everyone was talking about. Apparently, he had healed people and performed miracles. His teaching was rather non-conventional. She felt a shimmer of excitement about the fact that she was going to hear this Jesus in person. Oh, she knew she wouldn't be able to get close to him and she certainly wouldn't be able to see him, but she could hear him. As she entered the synagogue that day, Jesus noticed her immediately. But of course, with her downward gaze, she didn't notice Jesus noticing her. She didn't see Jesus' eyes light upon her. She didn't see the intensity in his gaze, the curiosity she didn't notice that he had stopped for just a moment in his teaching. She was just trying to get quietly and unobtrusively to her place in the back of the synagogue. And suddenly, Jesus was near her, and he called out to her, Woman, you are free of your ailment. And then he touched her. He touched her, a woman, unclean at that. Jesus touched her, and all of a sudden, she could stand up straight. She was looking him in the eye. She was face to face with Jesus, and face to face with her whole community. As the woman stands praising God, there is a very uneasy synagogue leader. He is on edge, and he starts to mumble, and then pretty soon he gets louder and louder, and he's gesturing angrily at Jesus, and he's saying, six days, six days you have to heal. Do not come to the Sabbath and heal. What are you thinking? This is the holy day. You are not allowed to work on the Sabbath. It's against the law. What is the meaning of this? this, this amazing teacher? He's no respecter of the Jewish faith. He's no great teacher. How can he even call himself a Jew, breaking this law of all laws, healing on the Sabbath? By now, the synagogue must have been pulsing with energy, with tension, with people holding their breath. In fact, if you were on a school playground, you would hear the children starting to say, fight, 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 fight. But Jesus is not a fighter. 
at least not in the way of throwing punches to take the other guy out. Quietly and calmly, but very intently, Jesus points out the problem with their law. He points to them to the way of compassion and mercy. You all are acting like fools. You take your ox and your donkey to be watered on the Sabbath, don't you? That's work. But if you didn't take them to the water, they would be harmed. Look at this woman. She's a human being, for heaven's sake. She's a child of God. She suffered for 18 years. And you think she should wait one more day? You don't force that kind of cruelty on your animals. We stand at the intersection of two opposing worldviews. The synagogue leader is all about the rules. The law must be protected at all costs, and there are good reasons for it. It provides the foundation of the faith. It is the fence within which community life can take place orderly and in proper time. Without the law, well, we would be lost. And as the leader, he's bound to protect the law. That's his job. Everyone is looking to him. In his own way, he is as bent over as the woman, bent over by all the rules, by the law, by the shoulds and the woulds and the have-tos. What oppresses the synagogue leader is the very thing which also makes him the leader. Many, many years ago now, the kids and I were in a hotel gift shop one rainy Saturday morning. It was the end of vacation. We had stayed overnight at a hotel on our way back to Syracuse, New York, where we lived at the time. Ken had gone to get the car and to pull it under the awning of the hotel so that we could get the kids in their car seats without them getting soaking wet. The rain was very steady. Two women with a child in a stroller came in to the gift shop. They wanted to buy two rain ponchos, but they wanted them to be charged to their hotel room. The manager of the gift shop explained that the gift shop was run separately from the hotel and she couldn't charge the ponchos to their room bill. So then they asked her, could they have the ponchos? Could they take the ponchos and then pay for them tomorrow? Oh no, that wasn't gonna work either. And then they explained to the gift shop manager that the reason that they couldn't pay for them that very day was because it was Sabbath and they could not deal with money on the Sabbath day. It was the law. Now, the manager was unmoved by their argument, but I was not. 
I stepped up and I said I would pay for the ponchos. Two plastic ponchos. Now, it was a hotel gift shop, so instead of $2, they were 10. But nonetheless, the whole bill was under $20, and why wouldn't I buy these poor women two ponchos? The women were very grateful, so grateful I was almost embarrassed. It felt like such a small thing. They insisted that I write down my address for them so that they could repay me. I said, no, don't worry about it. Oh, yes, yes, they had to repay me. It was the law. So I wrote down my address, and a few weeks later, I received in the mail two checks, one for the exact amount of the ponchos, and the other check with the pay-to line blank, and the amount of $25 written in, inviting me to contribute to any charity that I would like to support. I was in awe of their desire to follow the law. I marveled at their discipline and respect for the law, and at the same time I thought how paralyzing the law could be. Had I not been there, I am quite sure that these two women and the young child in the stroller would have ventured out into the pouring rain completely uncovered because, in fact, they did have to go to Shabbat services. Jesus knows the law. He would have learned all of them as he grew up in a Jewish household. Jesus, however, has a different perspective, a new perspective on the law. What happens to the law written in black and white when you look at it through a lens of grace and mercy? It gets a little gray, doesn't it? Gets a little fuzzy, and it gets a little scary. If you break the law once, you are probably more than likely going to break it again. If you break this law about healing on the Sabbath one time, what's to prevent you from doing it every week? What's to prevent you from breaking other laws against doing other things on the Sabbath? The laws are important. They help maintain structure and power. Jesus was lucky that the synagogue a leader had given him permission to teach. Now he's gone too far. He's threatening the status quo. Woe to those who threaten the status quo. It's no longer about the woman who had suffered for 18 years. It's no longer about doing something good for someone else. Jesus is threatening the very political, religious, and social structures. He is threatening the status of the synagogue leader. After all, if you can break the law, then you don't need anybody to enforce the law. And the only way the synagogue leader can think of to rein him back in is to quote the law over and over and over. Without seeming to take a breath, Jesus points out the problem with the law. It is focused on power and order. And God's kingdom is about turning those very things upside down. God's kingdom is about giving power to the powerless, which is exactly what Jesus had done 
when he healed the bent over woman, when he dared to touch her. Jesus points out the fact that the law allows them to water and feed their animals on the Sabbath so that animals do not suffer. Why can't they see their way forward so that a child of God does not suffer? You can hear the stunned silence in the synagogue. You can hear the sharp intake of breath of the leader. Just for a split second, everything is suspended until someone starts to clap. And then pretty soon, the whole place is rejoicing. They are rejoicing in the freedom that can be found when the law is interpreted through a lens of grace and mercy. They are not just rejoicing for the woman, but with the woman. They have been given a new perspective, and they are thankful. We are confronted with these same situations every day. Do we follow the law? Do we bend the law? Do we help the afflicted? Do we say they can raise themselves up, pull on their own bootstraps, or whatever that saying is? See, one of the most important things to note in this story is the fact that this story happens in community. It happens right here in the worshiping community. Jesus calls that worshiping community and this one to live a life guided by love and compassion. He wants all of them, all of us, to be freed, to look at things through that lens of compassion and mercy. Oftentimes that lens of compassion and mercy pulls us outside the community because we're looking for those who need our help. But this story asks us first to look inside our community. Who are the people we sit with every week who are bent over with the burdens of life? Who is the man who comes here Sunday after Sunday simply wanting the connection of human bodies and human voices? Who in this place is afraid, so afraid they could hardly get out of bed this morning? Who is having trouble putting one foot in front of the other? Who is so despairing so depressed that they don't know what to do next? Who is afraid of aging? Who is afraid of other things happening in the world? Who is afraid that their children are going to leave them? Who is afraid that the doctor is going to give them bad news? Who is afraid of being alone? Who is afraid of the decision that they have to make to take care of a loved one. Each and every one of us in this place today is bent over by something. Maybe it's a physical ailment. Maybe it's spiritual or emotional 
or mental, but we are bent over just the same. Maybe we are bent over by a lack of acceptance in our peer group. Maybe we are bent over making funeral arrangements for a friend or a loved one. Maybe we are bent over trying to decide which bill to pay and which one we can let go. Maybe we are bent over trying to be someone we are not just so we can fit in to this community. Everybody in here is a nice person. We are all nice people. We come in on Sunday, we talk to each other, we talk to people we know, and sometimes, sometimes we talk to people we don't know, right? But I wonder if we really look each other in the eye. I wonder if we notice those around us who are a little more bent over today than they were last week. And when we do, do we call them by name? Do we make eye contact? Do we recognize them as a child of God? Or do we just think, oh my gosh, I've got enough to take care of this week. I'm getting out of here. The miracle in the synagogue on that day happened at the intersection of law and grace. It also happened at an intersection of seen and unseen. We don't know how many weeks the woman has entered the synagogue, hunched over, walking to the back to take her place among the other women, marginalized, unseen by those who could walk faster, stand taller, be brighter. But simple math tells us that if she went to the synagogue every week of the year for 18 years, then she entered that synagogue 936 times before someone called her name. Woman. Woman, Jesus called her. And then he called her daughter of Abraham. She was no longer on the outside. She was part of the community, daughter of Abraham. Someone noticed. Someone took her burden. Someone helped her stand up straight. Someone welcomed her in from the margins. She can no longer be ignored. Jesus brings release and freedom and God's favor to all who are burdened and bent over. He brings release and freedom to every one of us who are so weary, we don't know if we can put one foot in front of the other anymore. Jesus calls us by name. Jesus offers strength and comfort. Jesus offers mercy and compassion. And then Jesus invites us to look past our burden and to look at the burdens that others around us are carrying. Who in our midst needs help to stand up? Who in our community is suffering silently, bent almost in half by the pain? Who among us needs not the law, not the ritual, not the singing of the same old hymns, not the easy answer, but needs one of us to truly look them in the eye and show them the way to wholeness. When we fail to notice those that are bent double in our own church, 
in our extended community and even in the world. When we neglect to find a way to ease all that weighs another down, when we forget that Jesus comes for redemption, not just in heaven, but right here and right now, then we are just as bad as the synagogue leader that wants to hold on to the status quo, that forgets the lens of grace and mercy and compassion. then we bear the shame of not seeing. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.